Welcome to Doctors at Work. My name is Matt Daniel and this podcast is about doctors' careers. Today's topic is differential attainment. I'm having a discussion with Ricky Ellis and he will share his work with me. It is a fact that doctors from different backgrounds have different success rates in postgraduate exams and in interviews and different rates of representation in senior leadership. In part one, Ricky tells me about his work on differential attainment and we discuss what it is and how it arises. The next episode of my podcast will be the second part of our discussions where we will discuss what we can do about it. I hope it's useful. Welcome, Ricky. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Firstly, thanks for having me. I feel quite honoured to be invited. Um, I am originally from London. I uh, I started my educational journey uh, by studying biomedical sciences, um, after which time I went to Canada for a while and worked in research and development, um, and then came back to study medicine at Warwick, um, after which I went through the academic uh, foundation training program up in the East Midlands, and and I've stayed here since. Um, I've fallen in love with, with the East Midlands, and we've got the Peak District on our doorstep, so I can't see me moving out anytime soon. Um, and I've got a real interest in medical education. Uh, recently uh, completed a, a PhD in medical education uh, while I was doing my urology training in the East Midlands. And I've invited you to talk about differential attainment or the attainment gap. How did you get interested in that area? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I was lucky enough to be awarded a, a research fellowship by the Royal Colleges of Surgery in the UK and Ireland. And um, my the description of of my sort of research um, was going to be investigating the validity of the the membership of the Royal College of Surgery examinations. And actually, it was it was while I was looking through the data and and trying to analyze and apply the data that I was working with that I started to to notice some some huge discrepancies in the data. Um, really, I started to notice huge differences in pass marks between different groups of surgical trainees taking the exam and it was harrowing differences in in pass marks that that you know sort of made me investigate it further and I, I I started reading around the subject and I, I looked at the work of, of my predecessor, Duncan Scrimger, and, and we just started to identify this, this huge difference in attainment between different groups of, of individuals sitting the exams. And actually, you know, as you start to read about this, you see that it's a problem that exists not just in surgical exams and not just in postgraduate examinations either. It's, it's, it's present in almost all assessments that we do for our entire educational careers. Um, and that has huge consequences for career progression for some groups of individuals and not others. Okay, so it, it strikes me that this won't be news to some groups of individuals, but it'll be quite surprising to other groups of individuals. Yeah. Exactly that, exactly that. It, you know, For many, this won't be breaking news. Um, and actually, we've known about this for, for decades. There was a, a fantastic paper by Professor Esmail about 30 years ago now that really highlighted that the, the degree of bias that exists uh, within recruitment processes, within assessments. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, how much has changed in the last 30 years? Well, the answer is not that much. If, you know, if we're still seeing this data, these, this you know, systemic differences in performance between different groups of individuals on the same assessments, you know, we still have a huge problem that needs addressing that, that has been neglected, I think, over, over the last few decades. 
And I've got to ask, how did the Royal Colleges react to your findings? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's. I would say it's a tough read. Anytime you see this data, it's very very difficult to read. You know, you are reading about your colleagues, your friends, your peers having to work twice as hard to perform as well as you on the same assessment. And that's not because, you know, they their skills on their knowledge is, is less than yours. It's because of other factors outside of their control. So I think it's a really difficult thing to read for, for anyone. It's a difficult topic to discuss. It's a difficult topic to approach. And, and doubtless, you know, it, it's a difficult topic for you know the exam conveners and you know people responsible for for setting assessments in in medical training programs it's a big conundrum it's a big problem mm-hmm. so um you know i can't i i can imagine that it, it was a difficult read at all levels uh, including um for for you know council members and, and college presidents at, at the royal colleges of surgery yeah. so what is the attainment gap then what we what we talk about when we mention attainment gap or the awards gap or, or differential attainment um, is systemic differences in performance between two or more groups of individuals at the same assessment. So so that can be uh, groups differentiated on uh, protected characteristics um, or, or sociodemographic or socioeconomic factors, and and it's really important in in terms of understanding this uh, to know that these aren't differences in performance on an individual level you know this isn't due to um, some learners having not studied as much or or their skills and knowledge not being as good these are differences in performance between huge cohorts of individuals you know some of some of my papers have have used cohorts of of 11,000 surgical trainees Um, you know these are huge numbers Uh, so it's not due to learner deficit this is due to other systemic factors causing this difference in attainment okay and can you tell me more about these systemic factors sure in in terms of what causes it um you know it's 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 a very that the causative factors are likely to be very complex and, and multifaceted it would be very easy to say that the the problems only exist within the assessment themselves that that would be the easiest thing because it's very easy to correct that or it's easier to correct that um but sadly i'm not going to hang everything on on that hook because you know firstly um bias and discrimination has been ruled out of of several postgraduate exams used in the uk where differential attainment has been identified secondly it also exists in written components of exams and assessments so bearing in mind that that these are uh, marked anonymously by computers. So that can't be put down to examiner bias or discrimination, for example. So in terms of the, the other reasons that, that might be behind it, well, to, to, to use a, a bit of a concept taken from, from elsewhere in education, assessments are the lens through which we see the accumulation of, of social and educational opportunities and historical bias and discrimination that people experience throughout their lifetimes. So what we're seeing actually is, is you know, the accumulation of privilege and disadvantage that results in some people having headwinds holding them back 
you know, in assessments and in career progression, while their colleagues are experiencing tailwinds that that propel them in their journey to success. So, you know, if we think about it from that sense, it's it's actually very hard to identify the causative factors. But, you know, we can break it down into to problems with the assessment, problems with the assessment methods, you know, the possibility of bias and discrimination within the examination. But actually, I think that the thing that's most interesting is the differences that might exist before the assessment within the learning environment. Because actually, they're, you know, they're the factors that, that accumulate and are expressed in differences in attainment at the assessment itself. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please click subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes come out. This podcast is part of my mission to help doctors create successful and meaningful careers. You can be part of that mission too by forwarding this show to any one person who you think might benefit from listening. Thank you. Now on with the show. Okay, so this this strikes me as very interesting and also very philosophical because I was expecting you to tell me that it, that people just discriminate that that you know you go to an exam and it's full of middle-aged white straight men and and they like people that are you know other white men middle class from public schools and they discriminate against anybody who isn't that's what i was expecting you to say but but certainly you know when it comes to computers unless the computer went to a public school and is white and middle class and male which you know it might have done or it might have been written by white middle class men but unless it, unless it did then what you're telling me that actually you know, yes, that might be one part of the problem, but there's much, much more to it that, than just that discrimination that happens at the point of sitting the exam itself. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are more aware of this now. You know, I, I say how much has, has changed in the last 30 years. Selection into medical school is a really good example of that. You know, there was huge amount of differential attainment in selection into medical school. You know, if you look back at uh, a a picture of a lecture theater medical school lecture theater from from you know 50 60 years ago you know it's it's generally all white men so so we've known about this for for a long time and thankfully we have moved away from more nepotistic recruitment methods into more you know nationalized selection processes that generally involve interviews with multiple people and 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 you can see that that does have positive results you know we, we we do have a much more diverse workforce now than we ever had before um you know for example um we we now know that last year more than half of all uk graduates were female and more than two-thirds of uh, the uk uh, workforce are from black and minority ethnic backgrounds and more than 10 percent have a registered disability so you know these numbers are a huge improvement on on what it was if you look 10 20 30 years ago for example but that isn't enough you you we can't be satisfied with diversifying the workforce if you know some groups experience inequity in training opportunities and in assessment therefore preventing their pro- or holding back their progression compared to their colleagues throughout the rest of their careers. Yeah, and, and this is why ultimately we, we're talking about a lack of diversity um, in senior and leadership positions within medicine. And it's very topical at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we expect to diversify the senior and leadership positions within medicine when barriers such as these assessments exist for some groups and not others preventing their progression? 
you know, it, it strikes me as perhaps maybe it's a bit odd that here we are two white men talking about this. So, you know, why, why should white men care about this? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, and one that I get asked, asked a lot, actually. Um, I, I think it's really important that, you know, there's, there's, an un, there's a, a lot of privilege that comes with being a white man. This you know, is undoubtable, and and especially within medicine as well, especially within surgery. And it's important that we recognise that privilege, um, that we have insight into that privilege, um, and also that we we don't sit back and expect um, all of the burden of this work of trying to improve the culture of training, to try and improve you know progression for everyone, equity within training opportunities. We don't let that burden falls solely on the shoulders of people that have already been minoritized by the system you know there are people that are having to work twice three four times as hard as others to be equally as successful within medicine now if they have to shoulder the burden of changing things for future generations as well you know that's that's an awful lot that's on their shoulders you know i think Ultimately, this is going to require a, a top-down and bottom-up change by everyone and contributions by everyone. So maybe you're lucky enough enough for differential attainment never to have affected you. And in which case, you know, that's incredible. You know, and, and also incredibly privileged position to be in because you know, this has this has changed the lives of many other people around you, and this affects their lives on a, on a daily basis. So if you are lucky enough to be one of those people, one of those privileged few that hasn't been affected by this, then absolutely feel that it's a duty to to get involved and to try and help where possible. You know, and it's our duty to to listen to how we can help. If you know, if if there's something you can do, why wouldn't you try and help your colleagues, your 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 peers, your friends, family? You know, because it it really is unjust that people are having to work twice as hard to achieve the same thing. You know, the thing that really struck me as important, and, and I clocked this having a discussion with one of my 60 plus years old colleague a number of years ago, and um, I can't remember how, how we got um, on the subject, and and he's sort of a, a, a white male professor, um, and he doesn't discriminate against anybody. I've known him for 20 plus years. He's very fair, very equal to everybody, um, you know, at least from my perspective. Um, and we were talking about discrimination and, and what became obvious to me is that, that, that he, he didn't think that it existed because it's not something that he did. Yeah. So he didn't do it. And I don't think that he did it and nobody's accused him of doing it, but because he didn't do it, he didn't see that it exists. He didn't, he didn't do it and it doesn't affect him. Therefore it didn't exist. Yeah. And that's kind of problematic. And maybe that's one of the things that, that, that I've clocked for myself is that if I go into the workplace and sort of say that we talk about, you know, gender discrimination, and, and of course I don't see it because I'm male. So, and, and maybe for other people in the workplace, um, so, you know, I'm gay and other people in the workplace, they might not see LGBTQ discrimination, but I do, yeah. And of course other people don't see it because they're not gay. And, you know, and if you're white, of course you don't see ethnic discrimination because you are, you know, in the white majority. So, so it's that, it's that a bit of, a bit of, um, 
a bit of a bit of being open to to recognize that okay this doesn't affect me i don't see it but just because it doesn't affect me it doesn't exist so if the starting point is that unfortunately this exists whether you see it or not or whether you believe whether whether you experience it or not it does exist that for me then is a really good starting point that 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 we stop pretending that it doesn't exist and we say yes this does exist it doesn't affect me maybe but it does exist so let's do something about it yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the key here really is to, to to having the ability to listen to others, to because that will help you recognise that that these issues do exist, even if you've been privileged enough for them not to affect you uh, personally. Um, you know, and and recognising that everyone's uh, lived experience is very different. So, and, and we don't, you know, we 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 talk artificially about differences in attainment, for example, in um, between groups, and we talk about differences in experience between groups of individuals, and often they're broken down by social demographic factors or protected characteristics. It's also important to remember that you know we don't just belong to one group, so everyone experiences opportunities and, and disadvantages, privileges, biases, and discrimination differently. You know, you. you you know, there's there's um, uh, talk of, of you know double, triple, quadruple jeopardy for for some groups. You know, if if you are um, a, a black female that works within surgery, you've you know it's double jeopardy. Looking at all the all the data, you know, if you are from a black and minority ethnic background, you're less likely to pass your exams, and your if you're a, a woman, you're less likely to pass your exams. You're less likely to progress for your ARCPs, your appraisals. You know, so so you've got double jeopardy there. Um, so everyone experiences these disadvantages and, and privileges, you know, on a, on a different level. And it's being able to to be open to listening to that and and recognizing your privilege and and you know the experiences of others. Uh, I think that's really key, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what does the data show then? The data show the the data's harrowing. Actually, is is an it's an awful read uh, to be honest with you. Um, the my work revolved mostly around the MRCS, the membership of the Royal College of Surgery uh, examination. And when I looked at the 10 years worth of surgical trainees taking the exams, we found that if you were male and if you were a younger trainee, so if you'd, if you'd studied medicine as an undergraduate, for example, um, you were twice as likely to pass the written component of the exam. And that's after adjusting for all other demographic, social demographic factors and adjusting for measures of prior attainment so you know a a proxy for for academic ability really so just based on your your gender and your age your likelihood of passing was significantly different and you know if we think about the the clinically and remember as well that's anonymously marked like i say a written component of the examination and with the clinical examination if you were younger and if you were from a more uh, privileged socioeconomic um, and, or educational background. So for example, if you went to a fee-paying secondary school, you were twice as likely to pass the clinical components of the exam at the first attempt. And if you're from a black and minority ethnic background, you are half as likely to pass the clinical aspect of the exam at your first attempt. And And, and this isn't just exclusive to the MRCS. This exists in almost all postgraduate examinations taken throughout the the UK, the US, you know, wherever it's been studied, differential attainment has almost always been identified. 
for example, we know that, that men have higher pass rates in all surgical exams. They have higher pass rates in, in some anesthetic exams. Women have higher pass rates in, in general practitioner membership examinations, um, membership examinations for psychiatry and MRCP clinical examinations. You know, so you, you can see these differences across every exam. And it's not just on gender either. Um, you know, we can see differences in age, socioeconomic factors. But the one that really stands out is differences in attainment according to ethnicity. White candidates have significantly higher pass rates in every postgraduate examination taken in the UK and most that have been studied across the world. And in, in fact, uh, uh, Professor Wolf and her team in 2011 uh, did a fantastic paper, but it showed that if you are white, you are three times more likely to pass an assessment in medicine than your colleagues, just based on your ethnicity. I mean, you know, when you see data like that, it just shows you how big this problem is. And how much this is affecting people's lives. And, and it's not just for e exams. It exists in all other assessments, in appraisals, in ARCPs as well. You know, it, it, there's really good evidence in surgical ARCPs that, that, that women, that the older trainees, those from less privileged backgrounds are less likely to pass their appraisals and progress in their careers. If you're from a black and minority ethnic background, you're 40% less likely to pass your appraisal in anesthetics. These, this differential attainment exists across your entire educational career. So if you think about moving for exams and moving for a yearly appraisal, moving through selection for you know, higher specialty training, if you're suffering, if you're experiencing differential attainment in each of those, how many barriers exist to progression in medicine or medical careers for some groups and not others. Mm -hmm. And if I go back to the causes then, because you've told me that, that, that just discrimination at the point of assessment, you know, that might be one component of it, um, but there is more to it than that. So, I mean, how, how you said that it's complex, but how, how does it, how does it happen? Because, you know, you've corrected for academic achievements. So say we got presumably you did what that grades at A level or grades at medical school. So, you know, you 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 take you correct for grades at medical school and grades at A level and, and you're still left with with a, with a difference based on ethnicity or gender um, or age. So and you, I know you said that it's complex, but how how does that arise? Sure. So if, if we think about. Um... Let's let's think about what we can control. So let's think about medical training. So that's 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 when people are under our wing as such. Um, if we think about what could affect performance in assessments within that time, I like to break it down into um, a sort of hierarchical system. So you've got um, on a, a systems or policy level, there can be bias within policies. There can be structural discrimination. And and we talk about the hidden curricula as well, which which affects individuals. Then on a more regional institutional level, you can start to think about things like access to role models, 
access to to coaching to uh, mentorship you know these are things that help you navigate training they help you navigate careers and the career pathways they help you navigate assessments and learning as well you know and 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 differences in in opportunities in each of these will have a significant uh, role in attainment in performance if we think about on a, a still on that level inflexibility within training programs as well we know that that training certainly within the uk is, is very constrained and it's let's be honest it's created for people who you know aren't caring for dependents you know don't have to rush home for children aren't disabled you know aren't less than full time it's it's it works relatively well for for people that don't have any of those responsibilities or those differences but as soon as you start to add in you know caring responsibilities you know children you know disability things like this it becomes very inflexible also everyone learns differently the training program assumes that everyone learns the same everyone can only have you know study leave to go on a course they can't have study leave to just revise at home you know everyone has to take these courses to learn you know, they they can't do it in their own way so you know it's it's very inflexible and then if we think about on a on a micro level so a, a personal or interpersonal level you've got things like bias microaggressions bullying discrimination and harassment that people are experiencing every single day and it's inevitable that that will affect experiences within the learning environment all of that adds up to a, a term called social capital you know if you have less social capital within the medical training environment you know you may feel a lack of belonging your networks are smaller you then is a knock on effect you have less access to role models whether they're your level or 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 maybe a, a high level in the training program or career program you have less access to colleagues to revision groups to help you navigate the assessment the learning pathways so if you think all of these factors on a personal or interpersonal level are affecting your your social capital and that has a direct impact on your performance these are just a, a few examples of, of differences within that training environment within the learning environment that that you know we have under our control we can change all of those factors there's there's myriad other factors that that we may not be able to change because it either happened before they entered medicine you know it may it may happen out of our control so so at home or in their social lives you know but these are things that we can absolutely change and absolutely address and clearly have a significant impact on performance. Yeah, I, I love the idea of social capital because it, you know, it captures the assets that somebody has and has access to um, versus another person that doesn't have those or doesn't have access to them. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I don't know about you, but there's some quite shocking statistics um, in there. In the next episode of my podcast, we'll move on to having a discussion about what we can actually do about differential attainment. So have a listen to that episode as well. And hopefully Ricky will tell us some tips about what we can do to make things better.